0: i'm mary byers and this is successful associations today my guests are ariana ray ceo of matchbox virtual media and amanda kaiser member engagement specialist at kaiser insights i'm delighted to have the opportunity to talk to the two of you about how we can hit it out of the park with virtual engagements and events, which we're all going to for members due to the COVID virus. So we're gonna do speed round today, which we've never tried before and successful associations today. And the reason we're doing that is we wanna to try to get as many ideas in as short as time as possible. So we're gonna start with Amanda, best ideas for interactivity. Absolutely. So one of the things um, that we've
1: that I've been uh, exploring early on is uh, is chat. So the chat function is a really great way for everybody to participate. And and it's a way that you can't necessarily participate in person. So one of the things that I've been talking to a lot of members about is. Um, how virtual is different than, than in person. And introverts and ambiverts tend to say that they love the chat because it's a way for them to participate and are really safe, but they can also contribute very meaningful thoughts. Uh, and extroverts will say that they don't like virtual conferences unless there is an active chat because it brings it alive for them. So I know that there's a lot of talk about chat, but it, is a, it can be
0: a really important way for people to engage. Chat's only good if it's used well. And in a, in a meaningful way, so let's talk about that. What makes a great chat?
2: Yeah, I can I can jump in on this one. Um, what my experience has been is that um, sessions really designed around a, a sense of purpose really make a big difference um, with the with the chat conversations. Now, there's also been a lot of talk, uh, concern around chat being distracting. You know, sometimes you have sessions that are very, very high, uh, dense content, and so a, a chat might pull away. And so the big distinction that we found is that um, sessions that are designed very much to be Um, uh, open-ended where the discussion that's taking place in the session doesn't necessarily have a distinct right or wrong answer. Um, So uh, we kind of, uh, cont- the way we think about those sessions is that they're driven by a compelling question. So um, the speakers are, are uh, the preparation for that is a set of questions. They're answering those questions kind of similar to what we're doing um, here right now. And so the attendee chat conversations then from those types of sessions tend to be uh, powerful yes ands, and then they'll start to connect on those yes ands. You know, you'll start to have people who identify um, examples within their own context context of what's being discussed, or maybe they disagree a little bit with a point, and that's going to breed meaningful conversation. Um, we've also found a very powerful mechanic that um, if a post-event resource is being created, so basically if um, part of the purpose of that session is that answers are being crowdsourced for something that's going to be used later, that it um, it. it it uh, breeds really It, it – it is creating an extra sense of, of purpose around the conversation, and so we just find um, a lot of people to engage early, which really sets the tone for, uh, for later on.
0: Is there a benefit to having somebody uh, actually – Focusing on the chat and seeding the chat and and making sure the chat is, is going. Amanda, you want to take that? Yeah, absolutely.
1: So one of the things that I've been experimenting a lot with as a speaker, especially when my my talk is pre-recorded, is uh, doing two things. One, when I'm actually recording, I'll ask questions of the chatters. So I'll say, you know, for those of you in the chat here's a question that I'd love for you to, to answer. And so they'll go ahead and they'll answer in the chat, but then I'll also moderate the chat. So then, you know, if you record a couple of weeks in advance and then it's time for you to moderate, um, I'm there to answer questions, but I'll also seed more questions. And if I see that, that the conversation is going in a certain direction, sometimes I'll deliberately ask some of those questions to, to, to mine some more information. And, uh, and I, it's something I've been experimenting with and I, I think it's been working. It's been really kind of fun.
0: I've also heard that you should be changing things up every 6 to 8 minutes. And so that the that, and that's not only just from the speaker standpoint but that's also I think in the chat standpoint so that you're going deeper with some of the questions you're asking follow-up questions or you're putting new questions in the chat. Yes. Yeah, so,
1: I'd agree to that. I, when there is an opportunity for like a slideshow, um, I will, I'll, I'll actually kind of plan out what I'm going to say and some things will be like quick stories, then I'll talk about data, then I might ask a question and I keep changing that up. My slides will rotate from maybe a couple of words to an illustration to, um, you know, a, a stat. And, uh, and I think that you're right, that changing things up keeps people engaged because it's so easy for them to click away and just start on their email.
2: So I would draw a distinction between um, uh, the the perspective I'm coming from and the perspective Amanda is. So Amanda is um, a kind of speaker facilitator. So she's the one that would be um, running the sessions. And and actually I uh, I say this uh, very enthusiastically. Amanda's been a speaker in in uh, some of my virtual conferences in the past, and very consistently has the highest rated session. So she's uh, she's a good fit uh, in this discussion. So. Um, my my perspective now, um, uh, I Matchbox runs uh, uh, builds virtual conferences, and so we've seen now uh, different different examples of what works and and what doesn't work, and have really also I, I've spent so much time just watching screen captures of a full event and understanding, um, looking at the the video sessions and the community chat conversations. You know what is really breeding the the meaningful conversation, and um, uh, one of the most significant factors for sure is that the uh, speakers on screen are coming from different perspectives and that they are um, uh, we found that that uh, you know speakers who are so passionate about what they're talking about, they're almost up in the face of the camera, basically, um, and are uh, are not just agreeing necessarily with each other, but but uh, complimenting and, and adding on um, makes a huge difference to the difference to the conversation. The other thing is early momentum. So one of the things that we suggest are uh, volunteer animators. So a combination, usually about five or six people whose entire role in the event is to stoke um, that meaningful conversation. So the early momentum, being one of the first people in the chat to say hello and uh, asking questions and um, even looking out for new users. You know, One thing that we've learned is that if somebody writes into the chat for the first time, they're the least susceptible or most susceptible never to write again, um, basically the most at risk of never writing again um, unless they're recognized or positively reinforced in some way. So we'll give uh, volunteer animators basically a list of um, – Uh, A list of instructions or or recommendations for how to uh, uh, how to be just basically positive beacons in the chat.
0: Great idea. Is there anything else about interactivity that either of you would like to add. So get it going and get it going early.
2: So I I would add um, one other piece to it, uh, which is that uh, virtual conferences are a nice opportunity to have multiple um uh, session types so one thing that we've seen that works really well is uh, panel conversations uh, that are pre-recorded but then actually moving people so they they've now had an opportunity to write into the chat and that sort of warmed people up gotten their perspective out and then actually moving into a part two that are breakout conversations and so uh, we find that because they had this uh, this starting point of discussion they're more likely to move into a meaningful conversation because there's always sometimes I'm I'd actually love to hear Amanda's thoughts on this because um, it's so hard sometimes to stoke that first in in a video chat to
1: stoke that early uh, conversation that's going to carry forth meaningfully yeah so it's very similar when I'm when I'm talking to say a group of 20 to 50 people on zoom Um, I try to do the the sort of the kind of early warm-up like you were just talking about Ariana uh, I try to, you know, get people to maybe just wave back at me, you know, like, hey, you know, just wave. And then, and then, you know, here's an easy question, a softball question for the chat. And then maybe here's a harder question for the chat. Now I want you to do something, you know, even a little bit harder. And by the time that they start heading off to the breakout groups, gr- uh, groups they're all warmed up and ready to go. So I think that that progressive interactivity is really important.
0: So, I think there's an art and science. I mean, so often we just, uh, and especially now, we've been forced to move meetings to virtual. Um, but I know that, uh, Ariana, you talk a lot about uh, very uh, uh, intentional designs so that it's not that we just all show up and we hope magic happens. Uh, so, I'm um, interested in your thoughts about hiring a professional host or MC or facilitator for meetings. So
2: i i'm sorry i don't know how to answer the i don't know how to answer the question because i i don't know what is is meant by uh, by host
0: so uh, for example uh, the two of you had a wonderful uh, new member uh, engagement um, virtual program just a week ago i think and amanda did a fabulous job interviewing panelists and keeping the conversation going so it was almost like you had a it was like a TV show. She was like a, a TV host, and so rather than just letting each panelist present their eight minutes, you had interactivity going on. And uh, I know that that it was pre-recorded, and then you had your panelists participating in the chat, which I think is a fabulous idea. Another great way to do intentional design. But but it's the difference between somebody who does it regularly. And facilitates regularly leads virtual meetings regularly versus maybe somebody who's an industry speaker and has done a webinar or has facilitated a zoom meeting, but doesn't do it regularly and may not do it with ease
2: yeah sorry so the the term we the, the term I, I use is uh, discussion leader, so basically in the so sometimes uh, uh, there will be an MC or host that is kind of throughout the the duration of a full event they're popping up in multiple places kind of announcing the next session, that kind of thing. Um, discussion leaders in the panel conversations are actually I find um, the most important variable for a positive session. Um, a discussion leader has by far the hardest job um, of of any of the others in the group. Um, many times that's the the planning in advance, but also just to do it just to do it well means to be able to kind of be in a conversation at the same time as on it. So um, to be able to um, see, you know, the distribution among who's speaking the most and kind of recognize the social cues of when somebody wants to add something or, you know, when a conversation needs to move a different way. And it's so rare that a a good discussion leader will, will, they may plan their questions in advance, but um, oftentimes uh, conversations organically go in different directions. So be able to kind of pivot on the fly. The other thing is, if the session is being recorded um, in advance and, uh, and the, the folks are in the chat as well. Um, exemplary discussion leaders are um, stoking conversation in the chat as well as uh, on video. And so I, I will say when I, um, uh, when I think of the exemplary discussion leader in my head, it's, it's Amanda truly. Um, she's kind of defined what, what that has meant for us and, in our space. So Amanda would love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I do now after working with uh, Ariana and her group on on a few of these. I've got like a little checklist of everything that I want to do, and and so uh, for me it's it's kind of twofold. I'll I'll make sure that my speakers are administratively ready. That we we do talk about the importance of sound and background and all of that good stuff. We talk about that That, that this is a, um, it's a conversation. It's not a soapbox for anybody. And so everybody just tries to talk for 30 seconds or a minute, but really no more than that. And um, and we always get together ahead of time so that everybody can feel really comfortable with each other and find out where their similarities and differences lie, because that friendliness then shows up when you're actually doing the recording. And, um, and I also play the role of cheerleader. So what I find is I tend to get uh, a group of people who um, some are very used to this format and then some of them are not very used to this format. And so I'll talk to them about you know how it's no pressure because we're recording just us and uh, and then the chat is no pressure because you're not on camera and and, uh, and I I will you know thank everybody profusely. So you are asking a question about whether to hire a professional or not And, and I think some of what a professional can do for an association is really key and, and, and start, um, especially like a keynoter, your, your very first session that you're gonna do, that person can set the tone for the rest of your virtual conference just the way an MC might. So if you hire somebody who's got that, you know, warm and engaging tone or somebody who's the cheerleader, uh, that tone tends to inspire a lot of engagement and participation and it really does carry through your conference.
0: And Ariana, you mentioned an MC. Tell us a little bit about how you've seen MCs used and if there's uh, ever a situation where they're overused
2: uh so we've seen sometimes events where um, the same discussion leader will carry forth um, with multiple sessions in a row and so they have a very strong presence uh, throughout the event and and this this uh, differs significantly on on the length of the event, but we have found um, that actually uh, a single person who has a strong presence throughout if they that tone continues forth and they're they're um, basically a speaker for the entirety of the event really is the way to put it um, that it actually decreases retention that um, there's something really really valuable in the diversity um, if you have uh, interviewers even um, multiple interviewers is is valuable especially because they will ask um, different types of questions and and have a different way of uh, tackling it and, and even just voice changes are are useful I would also in, in terms of professional help I, w- I would uh, distinguish also that there are many many who can help train, you know, help, um, uh, help ensure that the speakers are set up for success. Um, we also have a a role with our events that we call the uh, session director. So they're on with the speakers and are actually trained in, in basic facilitation so that, um, they're part of their role is to make sure the speakers are really comfortable at the beginning. You know, if you move right into, um, okay, you need to move your camera this way and the, the, um, um oh your audio there's something wrong we need to workshop that if you go right into that um people get really nervous and then that impacts the uh um the uh entirety of of the session sometimes so um we find that that role really makes a difference and and so our our session directors are um on the one hand there um to make sure that that things are going smoothly, right? So they're recording the session. But on the other hand, to Amanda's point about the about the cheerleader, um, sometimes our our session directors will just write into the chat to people saying like, "You got this. You're you know you're doing a great job," and and you can kind of see them um, uh, sit up a little bit. You know, it it uh, it makes a huge difference.
0: And Amanda, I know that you do some training, so if you have somebody who's just um, Oh, maybe on I'm, I'm, let me let me ask you which is easier trying to work with somebody who has no background in webinars or somebody who has a lot of background. I mean, do do does a lot of background lead to overconfidence sometimes?
1: You know, I don't know. I think there are some people who have worked so hard on their presentation that they want they want to give their presentation. You know, they want that whole five or ten minutes just to. And, and so uh, part of that, the pre, you know, the pre-work before we get, even get to the recording is really talking a lot about that kind of conversational style. So you can see it come out fairly quickly when you start, you know, talking about um, what we're going to be talking about, what our goals are, and how we want our audience to feel and what we want them to come away with. Uh, there, are, there may be some people who tend to be super long-winded and, um, and and you can tell that they've got this like canned script that they they just want to say, and so um, so you know sometimes I can kind of loop back with the group and talk about you know the purpose of this particular kind of uh, panel. Um, or you know, sometimes I can reach out to them independently. So it, it just depends. I mean, you know, some some people are total pros and they're comfortable in all different kinds of situations, and uh, and some people you know really really want to say what they want to say, and and so you you just kind of work with that.
0: So let's shift gears here. I know that one of the things that I'm hearing a lot about is monetizing virtual programs. I think there's a lot of questions about how to do it. So. Uh, Ariane, I'm gonna start with you on this one. What are some clever ways that you've seen organizations monetize their virtual programs?
2: Sure. So um, there, are kind of, there are two main sources of, of revenue. One would be ticket sales and one would be sponsorship. Um, the, the recent shift to virtual conferences have been an interesting um, kind of sh- uh, overall shift with the sponsorships as well, because previously it was how do we source sponsors and now it's how do we keep them. And so um, a lot of the associations we've been talking to are, are scared to have that conversation because they're worried that there's going to be something lost there. But actually, in, in our experience, there are things that that can be offered virtually um, and ways to connect that aren't possible in the in-person. So actually kind of um, uh, flipping that narrative on its head will, uh, um, uh, will serve associations well. So, for example, uh, one of the most common things that we see in the virtual conferences are uh, short uh, video ads, essentially. But when, when I say ads, actually, um, the ones that do well are actually uh, educational pieces, right? So short videos giving advice or, or food for thought. And uh, virtually, one opportunity is to um, attach a, a call to action directly to that uh, video, so let's say the video is talking about some uh, tips that a company has um, contained in an ebook that they've created. And so the call to action at the end is, hey, would you like to download this ebook? Um, we have seen conversions as high as 50% of attendees saying, yes, I'm, I'm interested in that, um, in that opt-in. So. Uh, that that's one possibility the other thing you know I, I really encourage those win-win-win scenarios where um, and and this will differ significantly industry um, profession and and really the the culture of of, of sponsorship but um, sometimes you can create really compelling content with your sponsors that are going to be um, hitting on things that the members care about uh, particularly right now there are so many shifting needs and so to be able to find um, corporate partners who can speak meaningfully to challenges that are taking place. You know, the, the best example uh, from from my past working with a sponsor was one who came to us saying, okay, what are the biggest challenges of, uh, of your community? So what we did is we, we looked back at the data of, uh, we, had, we had asked the question, what organizational challenge keeps you up at night? So having pulled out some of those macro trends, we said, okay, these are the main things that they're concerned about. And they said, okay, well, this one we can speak to really effectively and they, they created their whole session around that. And, and uh, it was a very high-rated session um, by the community. Uh, otherwise, as far as, uh, you know, other kind of interesting uh, things to think about, um, one area that, that we've seen a lot of potential in is the idea of sponsoring tickets, so basically, it's a, it's a combination of uh, of the two revenue sources. So the the best example I can give you came from this was a virtual conference pre COVID, actually, which seems like a million years ago now at this point. But uh, it was um, this was done by uh, with an association that we work with uh, called TAPI. So they're in the pulp and paper industry, and um, they so uh, one of their areas of interest is engaging their students, and so they created a. Um, Uh, ticket price, a specific ticket price for students that was um, very, very low comparatively, but they still uh, anticipated that they weren't going to have a very high Um, number of students attending because there was a a low willingness to pay for it. And so what they did, um, this was something we suggested to them just to see if it would work. They created a, um, in in their sponsor packages, they created uh, a tier called student benefactor. So for a certain dollar value, a company could make it free for all students. And it was the first one that was purchased and so there were a ton of students that that uh, attended the event because of that and it just tied really well to the message because they um you know there was a there was a thank you given uh, to the company for this and and they um they participated alongside each other you know in that attendee chat the, the the sponsor was in the chat um the students were there so they got to see the direct um you know the direct thing that they had brought to the event so uh, and i think relevant to note this was the first time that that sponsor had ever sponsored something of, of, that, um, of that association.
0: I've heard that sponsors, now more than ever, I mean, the way that they normally reach their target market or their target audience has been disrupted along with everything else. And so you mentioned that there can be a hesitancy for associations to start a conversation. But the reality is, is your sponsors may need you more than they ever have before. And so you really should be coming from a position of strength rather than a a position of nervousness, like I see so many of them do. Totally. How about the next generation of virtual meetings? What is that going to look like?
1: There's um, there's so many great ideas here, and and I think we're just starting to see it. So so in the panic, there there was a bunch of uh, conferences that are just happening now, um, on some platforms, and it was it was associations scrambling. So they took exactly what was in person, and then they put that in person conference online. And so what you see is a, is essentially just a stack of webinars, <laughs> and and I think that that's going to change very rapidly. That. Uh, we're going to see much more conversation, let's let much more participant co-creation, uh, much more kind of thought-provoking ideas and people working together rather than just the sage on the stage. So there, you know, there may be uh, an opening keynote. There, there may be uh, a few places where that makes sense, but I can see a lot of times where that facilitated, conversation where all of the participants get to engage together is going to be something that I'd love to see in future. I think actually that's, that will happen in the future because I may have said this earlier, but the switching cost away from the conference into your email or into another project is so so low that we've got to do something to really keep people super engaged and and, and having uh, you know having just a stack of webinars is not going to do it.
0: I just talked to somebody yesterday who said that they're essentially their meeting is going online, but they're essentially in the process now of a a big production. It's not just going to be a webinar. They're actually, it's going to be a, it's, it's going to be like a TV show. It's going to be a broadcast that is going to wow their members. And now they have the time to do it because they've uh, they've got months and months to do it. Uh, you know, they, they're working with some outside pros. And I think that's part of my message too. It's true that anybody can go online and do a Meeting or Zoom. And I think those are wonderful tools. But you have to stop and design backwards. Do you want this just to be what you normally do? Or do you want this to knock their socks off? My own organization, the National Speakers Association, who uh, w- would be meeting in August of this year, uh, had planned a hybrid meeting, and they actually started because of the virus. They've started the meeting now, so you register now, and they are releasing programs along the way, all the way up to uh, the, the meeting in August. And and if it has, if they, if they have the ability to be there in person, there will be in person events but but they've already started and so they're actually taking what was just a couple of day event and now they're stretching it out over months and so great way to enhance member value.
2: So what what comes to my mind I think it's a great question what comes to my mind in terms of some of the factors that are going to forever change the space um, number one is that um, there are so many different creative people who now have this as their medium. So, um, for example, I went and saw my sister is a, an actress. I went and saw a play on Zoom. And um, those those brilliant minds being put into, you know, how do we make a, a, a Zoom play uh, I watching it had all sorts of ideas um, that that came out of it so I think that just seeing what's going to come out of it and and um, and uh, event producers who are also extremely creative now moving into the virtual these are ideas the, the way that that knowledge is being shared right now online in terms of everyone trying to figure this out together just means that we're all going to learn more about um, about things that that we can apply the other piece to it that is interesting on the on the technology front is I feel that the in a positive way the technology priorities have shifted um, previously a lot of the platforms seem to be very focused on on a broadcast out um, uh, uh, broadcast out functionality um, when I did my first virtual conference uh, ever, I had kind of promised the community that there was going to be there were going to be video sessions and a speaker Q and A and an attendee chat, and I couldn't find a platform that did all of those things well because it just hasn't been the priority. You know, there's been a lot of let's say webinar programs where it's just really about that broadcasting out, and so now because uh, connectivity is so important, that is that is influencing um, the platforms that come out, the features. That are available the experimentation that people are doing and so i and and now the the narrative of of people being able to participate for the first time because the events are online i think that's one of the big reasons why we'll continue to do virtual conferences even when we're able to do in person as a as a way to supplement and so those uh, uh those priorities in in my opinion will will carry forth
0: actually i attended a uh, so second city uh, uh you know improv they do face-to-face meetings. They have three locations. And when this all happened, all of that went by the wayside. But they pivoted very quickly. And a couple of weeks ago, I actually took an improv class online. And I have decided if you can do improv online, you can do just about anything online. And it actually was a lot of fun. And it worked. They, they, you know, they figured out a way to make it happen. So I think we're going to see more innovation as a result of, of what's going on. Amanda, I wanna go back to something that you said, and that is virtual meetings often look like webinars just stacked up. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of organizations that have fall or winter meetings that were scheduled to be multi-day meetings. So what tips do the two of you have for them? If, if they need to pivot, how do you pivot a multi day meeting, so that it is accessible for members
1: yeah, so I, I love the idea that you were just talking about with the Nsa that so so now that we 're online we can we can literally throw everything up in the air it, your your meeting doesn 't have to be on the day it doesn 't have to be all day uh, it doesn 't have to look anything like it used to look like, so you can deliver chunks of content. Uh, You can um, have, you can, and you can also still do some of the same things that you would do. You could, you can still have a happy hour and get everybody together. You know, there's some really interesting things that you could do. Um, So, so I think I think you're right. I think what you want to do is you want to work backwards with your goal in mind. So now that we're online, you know, what, how, what do we, what is the function of this conference? There's so many directions you could go. You can, you can say, you know, more than tracks, maybe we want to hold conferences for all of our different member stakeholder segments. Uh, So one of the big topics is, um, you know, young professionals and new members and, early career folks maybe they even get their own conference you know how cool would that be we're trying to get them really engaged in the member the the association and it's very hard there's there's so many early career professionals that never get to go to conferences cuz there's just not the budget for them to go but now they can attend so so can you now do engagement strategies that were never offered for you before so Um, you know, if you have a fall or winter conference, you might have time to kind of throw everything up in the air and let it come down. Now, there's, uh, there's probably speakers that you'll want to pull from. And and now you've got, you know, a list of really great speakers and a really great and really great topics. And there might be things that because of COVID are just no longer, um, you know, helpful for you. And, um, and it might also make you rethink, uh, again, you know, not just sage from the stage, but how do you start facilitating some more conversations and what are, you know, what are more ways for full participant interactivity uh, than you'd been able to do in the past?
0: and I think if you had a hundred sessions planned, it's not wise to try to take a hundred sessions online. And that means making some hard decisions, uh, you know, running through and and deciding what's most relevant based on what's going on now. I think you can't, what what you picked uh, six months or a year ago may not be as relevant, Uh, but it would be a mistake to do the same quantity and, and, and to just put it online. And I think frankly that this is actually unleashed uh, and uh, some, some meeting planners, and it's given them permission maybe to do things that they wanted to do for a while. So now they have both permission and they've been, they've been unleashed. Uh, I know that resources are an issue uh, for some organizations, and Ariana I like the suggestions that you made about you know, different ways to monetize meetings because I think that's a, a big piece of it. But let's flip this, and I think we've touched on a little bit, but the biggest mistakes... That you've seen associations make with virtual meetings, sure. and I think the biggest mistake would be to be boring. But uh, <laughs> that aside, <laughs> go ahead.
2: Yeah, I would say um, the the biggest mistake is to be uh, so. We've, I've seen two kind of uh, diverging mindsets. One is, uh, we're excited. This is an opportunity. Let's get creative. Let's deliver value. The other side is, oh my gosh, we need to check off the box of having completed this. And so um, the latter, um, the latter side tends to be a bit more um, okay, we had a hundred sessions, uh, and so we're going to. We need to make sure that we we are able to deliver those a hundred sessions. Um, and so, in terms of uh, in terms of mistakes within events, I think um, one one mistake is is certainly the assumption that if your event was um, uh, from nine to five, that's not going to work virtually. People are not going to be able to to sit through it in the same way um another, another mistake um, that that we've seen is um, kind of the, the thought that uh, that with a chat for example that you know if you just let it sit there that things will, will occur naturally there really needs to be that intentional design um, and also recognizing that for a lot of people this is new and and scary and so um, particularly all, all of the uh, the speakers for instance some of them are going to be doing this for the first time and so there's a, a nervousness connected to that. So I think one mistake is just not communicating um, enough with the stakeholders of the event. I've also sponsors um, as far as getting their, their um, buy-in to the next phase. Um, One mistake we've seen is just waiting too long to, uh, um, to bring them into that conversation. And uh, so, so flipping that though, all of those, you know, quote unquote mistakes, there's an opportunity really to, to uh, get
1: ahead of, of the curve. Yeah, and uh, some of the mistakes that I've seen lately, as I've been sitting in on on some of the virtual conferences that are going on right now, are uh, picking a platform where the navigation is really odd or cumbersome or just confusing. Uh, people click around for a little bit and then they they're gone. Um, another one would be picking a platform that doesn't really have any opportunities for interactivity, and so you're you're stuck, you know, with again the sage from the stage. Uh, one of the things that I saw was in the scramble to try to keep um, sponsors or, uh, or give sponsors opportunities is they're actually giving sponsors an entire one hour uh, presentation format. And so that they're they're finding that it's like a one hour ad um, mixed up in the content, and and
0: that can get a little bit tough for vis- viewers as well. All right, as we wrap up here, quick question: Best secrets that virtual meeting companies know, or that virtual presenters or MCs like Amanda know?
2: Uh, sure. <laughs> um, I would say uh, the the best secret is if it if it goes well, it's going to continue to happen. Um, we've we've had we've had so many that. I've decided to, you know, originally come in saying we're going to do one virtual event or one virtual conference and, you know, it it sets the, it sets a precedent. If it, uh, if it's something that works well, it's something you can continue doing. So um, we're like, yeah, you'll be back. We know we'll, we'll do this one with you. You're
1: coming back.
0: I love it. Amanda.
1: I think one of the places that we're not really diving into that I'm super excited about is now we get to mine attendee conversations online. In person, people would have conversations and they were like effervescent, right? They just, they just went away into the ether. But now we can get that. So as a speaker, I love grabbing the attendee chat because it gives me ideas for what I want to talk about next. But I'm also using it in some of my research. So for an association and for speakers, this is a goldmine of
0: information. That's a great tip. I appreciate both of you being here today. I'm Mary Byers, and this is Successful Associations Today.